So hi everybody, this is Jana from the Advance Your Belly Dance podcast, a weekly podcast all about the business of belly dance. This week, we have Nadira Jamal joining us. Nadira, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Nadira Jamal. I'm also known as the Belly Dance Geek. I am the hostess of the Belly Dance Geek Clubhouse podcast and the creator of 16 products and services around improvisation, stage presence, uh, business, practice, and habits. So I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, so thank you for having me, Jana. You're welcome. Anytime. So this week, we wanted to talk about business habits. So did you want to go ahead and explain some of the habits that you use for your current business and all the products and services that you offer? Absolutely. You know, I think that one of the things that a lot of people do understand is that when you're running a business, there are a lot of things to do, but people don't always realize how difficult it is to get them all done and stay on top of things. And usually we rely on our willpower to get things done. So, you know, I just know that I have to get this done and I'm going to make it happen. And in the early days of your business, that's really easy because you're fired up and you're excited. You may have a lot of external deadlines. So things like, you know, you've announced your DVD release date and that works in the early days. But as things go on um, or when you are tired or not feeling inspired, then a lot of that ability to get things done fades away. And so it's really helpful to cultivate some habits that will get you through those times and give you a stronger foundation for your business. Um, I do have a lot of them that I use, as well as some that um, I don't use myself, but I've heard of a lot of other dancers and business people using. And I do want to talk about those, but I think um, one thing that's helpful to start with is to talk about the difference between a habit and a task. You know, often when we think about, you know, I want to do more of something, we write it down on a to-do list and say, I'm going to do this. But what that really is, is that's relying on our willpower. And so it, it really helps to think about how habits work and how to build a habit. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, long-term or ongoing tasks, what we want to do is we want to train our brains to want to do those things, which it sounds kind of backwards, right? We think that, you know, I'm a strong person. I can just make sure that this happens. Um, but a really good analogy is brushing your teeth, right? When you were a little kid, your parents probably had to really push you to brush your teeth every day. But now it's just something that you do, right? You wake up, maybe you have your coffee first, you brush your teeth, you go on with your day. And it's not something that you think about or that costs you any energy to get done. And so we want to make a lot of the pieces of our businesses run like that. So um, the way that a habit works um, is that it has three pieces. Um, and this is something that I learned from a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he, in turn, was quoting some research out of MIT, which is where I went to school. So I was really excited to get the little shout out, right? Not that I did the research, but, you know. Um, and the three pieces of a habit um, are the cue, the behavior, and the reward. And I know we're getting a little bit geeky here, which I enjoy, but it's also really important to understand how habits work so we can use them effectively. Um, the idea is that the cue is the thing that triggers your behavior, right? It says, okay, now is time to do the thing. The behavior is what you do. And then the reward is the immediate benefit that you get from doing that behavior. And so if you think about it, um, you know, a habit is after 
something happens, I will do something, and then I will feel good because something else. So, you know, one example, which is my most important practice habit, is that after I put my coffee cup in the sink, I go upstairs into my dance studio, and I look myself in the eye in the mirror, and I say, I'm here to practice, because I'm a dancer, and that's what dancers do. Right? And so what happens is something that happens reliably every morning is I put my coffee cup in the sink. Then the action that I do is I go into my dance space where I'm ready to practice, you know, so I don't have to say, oh, do I feel like practicing this morning? Do I want to do it? Is there something else that's more important? No, that's just what I do after I put my coffee cup into the sink. And then the last part, which is um, looking myself in the eye in the mirror and saying that statement, is my reward because when I say that, I really feel like a real dancer. Um, I had seven injuries in eight years, and it was really tough. And for a long time, you know, I struggled with feeling like a dancer when I was only doing a couple of performances a year between injuries. And so for me, when I say, because I'm a dancer and that's what dancers do, I get that immediate um, sense of satisfaction and validation. And that's a really powerful feeling for me. Now, you know, for you, that might feel cheesy. So your reward's going to be different. You know, but for me, that really makes me feel wonderful about having showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reinforces my desire to go upstairs after I put the coffee cup in place. Uh, does this all make sense so far? Yeah, that's actually a really good way. You're talking about how you've had injuries and then you still want to feel like a dancer, even though if you log onto social media, you see people having uh, performances on a weekly or nightly basis, then you kind of feel left out in your mm-hmm. own dance world. I know I've, I've had a shoulder injury for a few years now I just recently started getting treatment for it and so I know where you're coming from it's like when you only do a performance here or there maybe once or twice a year you Mm -hmm. kind of think to yourself okay am I really a dancer if I'm not performing but that's not just about performing it's about what you do in your daily like you're mentioning here in your daily habits it's actually a really good way to for anyone that's listening it's also also suffering from (laughs) kind of injuries that they're getting over that's a good way to still feel like a dancer Absolutely. I know that's a little bit off topic too, but you know, I do feel like this is really important because oh, everybody important. comes through this. Yeah, of course. Um, Dancing is hard on the body. Everyone's going to go through it. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, and oh, you know, one thing I want to mention is that um, I wish I could remember who it was, but uh, somebody on my newsletter a few years ago, when I was talking about this and being upset you know, by my injuries, she said that her daughter, who was in Western dance, when she was laid up with, I think, a knee injury, you know, her teacher said, being injured is part of being a dancer. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you're dealing with this experience of being laid up means that you are more of a dancer mm-hmm. because you're dealing with what we all have to deal with. And so you're having, you know, the real experience of being a dancer. And that, that was very heartening for me. I really liked that. <laughs> That's good to remember. I'm going to write that and put it up in my history. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I also completely understand the social media piece. Um, you know, I think we all know that you know, looking at what you see on Facebook gives you kind of the exaggerated view Mm -hmm. of what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, You know, so coming back to this idea of habit, you know, I I gave you a quick example of my practice habit. Um, But if you're thinking about how to build your own habits, um, it's really important to choose the right cue, the right behavior and the right reward. And so I want to talk about those a little bit, if I may. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we talk about the cue, this is the thing that tells you, hey, it's time to do this thing. And so 
often when we think about getting things done, we think about um, you know either picking them off our to-do list or picking them off our calendar, right? I want to practice today, so I'm going to put, you know, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. on my calendar. And for some people, that works fine. You know, if you get a little calendar reminder, you go do it, and that's great. Uh, for me, not so much. Um, I found that when I put things on my calendar, um, especially things like my weekly review process, which I can talk about a little bit later, you know, I would put, you know, 4 p.m. Friday, it's time for my weekly review. And when 4 p.m. rolled around, I would decide, oh, well, you know, I should really get this other thing done, or somebody calls me, and I feel like I have to answer. And so, um, you know, that there was still that willpower involved, because I still had to make that decision uh, about whether to do it or not. And so, I think it's very helpful to think about, you know, a habit is not an appointment, and a habit is not a to-do list item. A habit is something that is triggered by a specific cue. And so we want to make sure that when we're building our habit, our cue is clear, so it's obvious to us when it's happening, that it's timely, so it's happening at a time when you actually can do the action, right? So if my cue comes in the middle of dance class, you know, I'm not going to stop the class to do my own practice or check my email or make my to-do list for the week. Um, and it also needs to be actionable. Um, so, excuse me, so actionable is um, that you can act on it right away. Mm -hmm. Timely is that it's happening on the, with the right frequency, right? So if it's something that I want to do every day, like practice, I practice every weekday, then my cue needs to happen every weekday. If my cue only happens once a week, then I'm not going to be practicing enough. If my cue comes five times a day when I can't necessarily act on it, then it's not, it's going to lose its power because I don't respond to it every time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. So in my case, you know, I put my coffee cup in the sink once a day. And then if I want more coffee later on, I put it in another cup and I don't put it in the sink until later. Right. So that I don't dilute my cue. Um, and then moving on to the behavior, um, this is a kind of a subtle place, right? The behavior is the thing that we want to do, but it's how we respond to the cue specifically. And so often the things that we want to get done are big, like I want to practice for an hour, or I want to get through my entire email inbox, or I want to write a blog post, right? And these are, these are very big behaviors. And it really, really helps to break them down into the smallest part that it takes to get started. Uh, this is something that I learned from a program called Tiny Habits by a researcher from Stanford whose name is BJ Fogg. Um, and I can make sure that you get the address for that. It's tinyhabits.net. Very worth checking out. And one of um, BJ Fogg's um, big revelations, um, he's a behavioral researcher, was that if the action that you want to take is really, 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 really tiny, you're much more likely to do it. And that really helps um, as you're building the habit, but also as the circumstances of your life change, um, or which can sometimes weaken the cues, or when you're just having a really tough day and you're feeling, um, you know, resentful and contrary. You know, they call those my toddler days, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I feel that way about everything. Mm -hmm. um, and but if the behavior that you build into your queue is extremely small, it doesn't feel like as big a deal. And so you're, it's much easier to say, okay, well, I can just do that one tiny thing. So in my example of practicing, I didn't say that after I put my coffee cup in the sink, I go upstairs and I practice for an hour. I go upstairs into my dance room and look myself in the eye in the mirror, right? And that's something that takes a few seconds. It takes very little effort, right? I, it's not even 
you know, putting on the music and getting warmed up and getting into the process. It's just that one little piece. But once that one little piece happens, I'm much more likely to actually stay in the studio and continue dancing. Does this all make sense? Yes. So how long do you usually sit up there when you do start, when you, after you put the coffee cup down and you go upstairs, do you have a set time or... All right. Well, this is um, a really interesting thing. The short answer is it varies a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So my target is an hour. That's how much time I have blocked out in my morning routine. Um, Because after I practice, I uh, get changed. And then I have have a part-time day job in software. And so my company has a stand up at 930 every morning. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a very clear end time that I have to obey. And so my target is an hour. My minimum is five minutes. So my agreement with myself is that if I show up and I dance for five minutes and I feel like quitting, I can. I almost never do, right? The only times when I end up doing five minutes is if, you know, I had really bad insomnia and I slept for two hours. Then I might show up and do a token practice, right, just to maintain that habit of showing up. Um, But most of the time, it's it's rare for me to do less than 45 minutes. Um, And in general, I do, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Some days, like if I've um, had a really tough day the day before physically, um, I may take it easier or I may do uh, a shorter practice of like 20 minutes, depending. Um, but in general, I, I tend to stick to my 45 minutes to an hour. But the thing is, is that that is only possible because I gave myself unconditional permission to stop after five minutes. It's that really small minimum. I call it a hilariously low minimum because it's so small you can like laugh at it, right? Mm-hmm. Five minutes, pff, I can do five minutes. You think you can't do five minutes? That's just silly. You're just, you know, being a toddler, right? <laughs> and so um, because I, I really honestly have given myself that permission, it's not something that I'm saying. I'm not paying lip service. I really am allowed to stop after five minutes. It makes it safe to show up, right? Mm-hmm. When, I, when I'm facing the idea of dancing uh, for an hour and practicing for an hour, it's not, oh, I have to do this. I don't feel like doing this yet. Um, because I have that total and complete permission, it's safe to get started. It's easy to get started. And usually once you actually get moving, you feel like continuing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you remember how much you like dancing. Moving feels good. You feel like continuing. Um, and another little trick that I have is that if I feel like quitting partway through, I'll be like, oh, well, you know, maybe just one more song, maybe just another two minutes. And by the time that's gone through, usually I feel like going. But it's all based on really honestly having permission to not do the full amount. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Um, So when we think about, you know, picking your behavior, really choosing that tiny starter habit really is key. Um, Another habit that I have is I write in the mornings. So um, I work on my content creation. And so that happens after I get my coffee. (laughs) I didn't used to be a coffee person. So it's really (laughs) funny to me that so many of my uh, habits are based around coffee. But there's such a, they're a really solid anchor, right? The, the cue, that cue of making coffee and putting it in the sink really does reliably happen every morning at the same point in my routine. So it's a really good choice. Um, and my habit there is that after I have sit down with my coffee, I open up my laptop and I open up um, Scrivener, which is the program that I'm writing in. And then my reward for that is that I look at my word count. And so I get an instant little rush from seeing how many words I've gotten done so far. Um, and, you know, as that number grows, it just keeps feeling better and better. So, you know, not all habits are around practice, but um, the smaller they are, the easier they are. So my tiny habit is just open up the program and look at that number. 
And do you, may I ask, when you do the content creation, you do it every single morning. Uh, do you also have like a limit, like the five minutes of the practice? Do you have a limit of time that you set? If you don't feel like doing it anymore, you quit? Or yep, I did the exact same thing. So um, I practice, I write every weekday morning. So okay. my rule for myself is that um, my business habits are weekdays. Um, and that's because Saturday is my only day off. So I, I try to do no work except for things like workshops or gigs on Saturdays. And then Sundays I teach three classes. So I'm pretty much out all day. Okay. Uh, so my rule is weekdays are work days. Weekends are not, are not habit days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also another thing because the weekdays tend to have different cues from weekends. Um, if, if you uh, folks who are listening have day jobs, you may want to separate work days from non-work days. So if you work Monday through Friday, you might have different habits on those days than on the weekends. You know, if you work, um, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, you might have different habits mm-hmm. on those days versus the others. And that's just because we organize our organize our lives differently on days when we work versus when we don't in general. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but the point that I was getting to originally was that, you know, that behavior, that starting behavior, the smaller it is, the more likely you are to do it. And that comes into play in two places. One is that when you're first building the habit and it still takes some willpower to make it happen, right, while you're still putting that initial work in, the tinier it is, the more likely you are to stick with it until the habit takes. And then the flip side of that was that, um, the tinier the habit, the easier it is to not get distracted on days when you feel ornery. So that comes back to that hilarious minimum. And I don't think I answered your question, which is um, for the writing, um, mm-hmm. I do have the minimum. So my rule there is, again, if I feel like quitting after five minutes, I can. Um, I'd never have. I've never done less than 20 minutes. Um, and then the boundary on that is that I have an hour from the time I wake up until the time it's that I need to um, start practicing. If I'm going to get in my hour of practice, I need to start by 8 o'clock so that I can be done at 9 o'clock so I can be ready for my 9.30 meeting. So in general, um, I've allowed up to about 45 minutes. So, you know, I get up, I feed the cat because she's whining at me. She's a great cue, right? (laughs) Uh, I make some coffee. I uh, I make breakfast sandwiches ahead of time and I put them in the toaster oven so they're warming up while I'm making my coffee. And then I make my coffee. I sit down. I write then I put my coffee cup in the sink, I go upstairs and I dance. So I have a whole chain of habits that make all of this work smoothly. Okay. And do you track your habits? Like, do you have like a notebook where you track, okay, I've done the, like creating a chain of habits? That's a really good question. Um, I find that for me, it works to track my habits until they stick. And then once they get to that place where it, you know, they really do feel automatic and I only resist them on, you know, my toddler days, um, then I tend not to track them as much. Okay. So it's, it's really the building process where that's necessary. Um, I know a lot of people who track them every day, you know, for years and years and years and get a lot of benefit from that. So that's another type of reward. And if that's true for you, then that's definitely something worth doing. So it's, it, there's not a wrong or right answer. But tracking and accountability do make a really big difference while you're in the process of building a habit. And there are a lot of ways that people do that. Um, I have two main ways that I do. One is that um, I have an accountability partner. She's not a dancer. She's in a business forum with me. And so I watch her article writing thread. We're all in a forum together. And so I follow her forum and she follows mine. And I check in every day and I say, this is what I've done or not done. And And then I do the same thing for her. And you know, we're not really giving each other feedback on our work itself, but knowing that somebody is watching and that somebody cares 
really helps. So when you're having that, I don't feel like it moment, you know, I just know that Teresa's watching and that she's going to notice if I don't do anything today. Not that she's going to judge me, but you know, I'm going to be seen. And that that really helps a lot. If you're thinking of private tracking rather than in front of someone else, um, you can also use a lot of tools. So some people just write it down on paper. Some people give themselves a check mark on a paper calendar. Um, I know a lot of folks who like put like gold stars on their calendar, like little kids do, and don't underestimate that, right? I call them toddler days because, you know, our less grown-up natures are always with us. And so that, uh, that contrariness and also that, you know, response to praise is, is always with us. So, you know, if you feel motivated by that little gold star, use the gold stars. There are also some good online tools and apps that you can use. Um, I have an app that I use for some things called Way of Life which lets you mark any given day as I did it, I didn't do it, or I wasn't supposed to do it. And that's really handy. Um, the basic version is free and lets you track three habits, but the uh, premium version lets you track an unlimited number and was well worth the money for me. I found that really helpful as I go. There's also an online uh, version that's very similar called HabitCal, and that's available at everydaysystems.com. Um, the author of Everyday Systems, Reinhard Engels, has also done a lot of writing about habit and productivity, and he was one of the first people that really brought this to my attention. So he's got some really good stuff, and he's also a geek like me and has some really funny metaphors for things, uh, including what has to be the funnest and silliest workout program ever. It's called Shovel Glove. Um, I won't talk about it now, but if you want to check it out, it's hilarious. Shovel Glove. Yes. All right, I'm going to have to yes. look that one up. It's really fun. <laughs> uh, if you have shoulder issues, it's probably not for you. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there, there are some things that, that you can adapt, I'm sure. But it's it, just reading about it is funny. And also his method is hilarious. So I actually stole the hilariously low minimum from him. Um, he calls it schedulistically insignificant time. And his rule is that when he's trying to do something like shovel glove, he does it for 14 minutes because it's smaller than the smallest amount of time you can put on your calendar. For me, I found that 14 minutes was still long enough to make my toddler, my, my inner toddler, cranky. So I took it down to five minutes, but um, he's the one who really um, prompted that. Whatever works, five minutes, 14 minutes, as long as it gets you going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you know, coming back to the behavior, the smaller, the better, as long as it's the very first thing that you need to do to get into the larger thing that you intend to do, it will work great. I know a lot of folks, for when they're practicing, their starter habit is they turn on their music. And once the music is on, then they feel like dancing. Not necessarily for an hour, but they feel like starting. Okay. Um, and then we also haven't talked about the reward very much. Um, when it comes to picking a good reward, it needs to be something that gives you an immediate benefit. And often that benefit is just a good feeling, right? So when we think about rewards, we think about larger scale things like, you know, when I finish my DVD, I'm going to go out and buy a new pair of shoes or, you know, after my workout, I'm going to go and get a really nice cup of tea, right? But in this case, we're talking about something that takes a few seconds at most and gives you an emotional lift. So in my case, you know, looking myself in the mirror and saying, because I'm a dancer and that's what dancers do, gave me that strong validation a lot of people will just like give themselves a thumbs up in the mirror or uh, BJ Foggs, uh, the creator of Tiny Habits, his favorite reward is he just says, awesome, 
right? And he, uh, mm-hmm. he actually has a really funny video where, not funny, a really informative video. It's like half an hour, 45 minutes of a lecture. And he made everybody in the audience practice that in that tone of voice. Awesome. <laughs> and it, it feels silly, but it works. So the idea is that you're saying, to, you, you're just training your brain that you feel good after you do this action, right? And so your brain associates the behavior with feeling good. And that consistent reward is conditioning. You condition yourself. And what happens then is that if you're accustomed to feeling the, the, the lift and feeling the reward response, then your brain will start to crave the behavior anytime it encounters the cue, right? Mm-hmm. You notice the cue and your brain jumps immediately to the reward, not to the effort of the action, not to all the work that you're going to be doing, but how good it knows you're going to feel after you do it. And it's really where the, the habit sticks. And so a lot of people think that, you know, the cue is the critical piece and the cue matters, but the reward is what really is going to make this an automatic behavior that you don't have to fight so much. I have a question. Absolutely. With regards to rewards that may not be immediate, but tasks that you have to do every day to eventually get to that reward, how do you deal with that? Like, for example, creating a DVD, the reward would be to finally get it out and make, say, make sales, have some customers. Mm-hmm. But what about when you're creating all the marketing for it? It's like, you know, you need to do it and eventually it will pay off. But right now you're not seeing immediate reward. Exactly. And that's a really important point because it's very important to separate your goals from your habits. Right. So in this situation, your goal is to get your DVD done so that you can gain the benefits of that, which is, you know, the money, the um, the career advancement. And all these things are really great reasons to make a DVD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but those are not rewards for an immediate action that you're taking today. Those are a reward for the larger project when you complete it. When we're talking about habit, what we're really saying is that you need to get some immediate benefit in the moment from the action. Because the larger reward that you get is a willpower boost, not a habit boost, right? You can think, oh, when this comes, I'm going to be so happy and, you know, I'm going to put all that money in my savings and it's going to make such a big impact on my retirement, right? Um, But that's still about dredging yourself up, dredging up the energy and the willpower to get something done that you don't feel like doing. The rewards that we're talking about right now are the immediate emotional lift that tells your brain, when you see this cue, you should do this because you're going to feel really good. And so those are actually two totally different activities. So when we think about, um, you know, showing up to write your marketing, right, or showing up to do the editing on your video, and we're talking about that everyday process, or possibly every Tuesday process, depending on, you know, what the structure for your habit is. We want to choose a reward that makes you feel good as soon as you show up and begin, right? So um, one option that you might want to do if, if we think about a video in particular is if you get the cover designed before you uh, get very far in your editing process, for example, um, maybe your reward is you open up the, that the image of that cover or maybe you put it on your desktop. And so as soon as you open up your computer to write, you see that and then you say, I'm a dancer with a video. Or if you're not into affirmations, maybe you just like give yourself like a big nod or a big thumbs up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing is that your reward doesn't have to have anything to do logically with your behavior, right? So maybe the answer is you want to, you know, sit down and do your marketing. Maybe 
um, you get out a notepad if you're writing on paper so that you're ready to write down your first ideas and you just go awesome or yeah or you know give yourself thumbs up so it doesn't need to be directly related to the thing that you're trying to do in any kind of logical way it's just about something that makes you feel good okay I find that things that are related often have a little bit more power because we don't feel silly doing them um, you know, some people don't feel silly about things like, you know, doing their little happy dance in the mirror or, you know, whatever it is, but a lot of people do. And so often when you tie it to the thing that you're doing, um, it, it feels more natural. Mm-hmm. So what are some, we were talking a bit about practicing and that's a really good um, habit to form. <laughs> Aside from practicing, what business habits do you have that... Yeah, this is a really good question. Absolutely. So um, one of the big things where habit has played a role, both in helping me get things done and also helping me understand habits because they completely fell apart when I got a new day job and my cues changed, um, was my review process. So in any kind of complex endeavor, whether it's your dance business, your day job, um, you know, managing elder care, whatever it is, anything that has a lot of moving parts, it's really important to stay on top of all the things that you're trying to do. And that takes work. A lot of people operate out of a single to-do list, which works if you don't have a lot of things on there. But if you have a lot of things coming up with different due dates and stuff, it can be very tough to make sure that you keep all the plates spinning, right? That you're getting things done when you need to get them done, but still making progress towards your larger goals. And so for me, I came up with a series of reviews that I do a little tiny one every morning, a medium-sized one every week, and then a larger one every month. And in the past, I used to do a big annual review, um, but I found that that wasn't as valuable as the monthly reviews. So one thing that I do is that after my morning meeting for my day job, there's the queue, right? After I sign off, um, then I open up my little text file, which is where I do my daily review. And for my daily review, what I do is I make a list of anything that's absolutely due today. So anything that has actual consequences if it doesn't get done today specifically. So this is not things that I feel like doing today or that I think I should do today, but actual real deadlines. I make a list of three to five things that I want to get done today. um, And I try to focus on things that either have deadlines in the near future or are bugging me. And then I also pick one thing that I call my today's most important task. And so this is the one thing that's not due today, but is going to help me make progress towards some of my bigger goals. So my rule on that one, excuse me, my rule for that is that it should be something that's either going to make me money or directly lead to making money, build my mailing list so I get more subscribers, um, or complete whatever my, help me complete whatever my big project is. So if I'm working on a DVD, it might um, things on my DVD might be an option there. Does that make sense? Yes. And that process takes like four to six minutes. That's all. Um, The other piece of that um, habit that I didn't mention was that after after my meeting, I sit down and then I copy anything that wasn't done into another text file so that I have a nice blank list and I create it from scratch. So often I'll end up bringing things back. So things on my want list, you know, it may be on that list all week. Or I may decide, you know what, I wanted to do this yesterday, but today I would prefer to do these other things. Okay, so that's my morning review. Then every week I take a bigger look 
at what's going on. I look at my calendar for the previous week and for the upcoming week just to see what's happening. I make a note of any deadlines for the entire week um, and a, a curated list of things that I'd like to get done. And when I'm doing that, I like to think in themes. So what's going on this week? What are the things that I want to get done rather than the individual tasks first? So things like, uh, let me open up my review, in fact, and I'll tell you what my themes for this week are. <laughs> right? Uh, so one of mine is resetting my business habits. So I had a change in my routine recently, and my cues aren't as strong as they used to be. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm experimenting with some different cue options. Um, another theme is my performing career. So I want to get some more gigs for this month um, and make contact with some new people. Um, some outsourcing and simplification. I'm working with an assistant for the first time, and so I need to do some work um, both to train her, but also to get my systems ready for her to take on. Um, and then I also have the Belly Dance Geek Clubhouse. My podcast is one of my themes for this week. So I need to get um, my guests lined up for the next month. And then we just had our call on Sunday, so I had some follow-up steps to do. So based on those themes, I picked a very small list of things that I think are reasonable to be, to consider this month. And so, um, you know, for those themes, but also for anything that I know I need to get done, I'll make a, a short list. Um, it's very important to keep that list to a reasonable length. If you throw everything that you might ever want to do on there, then it gets overwhelming when you look at it. Um, and one thing that um, I didn't mention that's really important is that I view my lists not as orders, but as menus. So when I make my daily list or my weekly list, this is not everything that I expect to get done that day or that week. These are the items that I want to choose from. So these are the things that I think are going to be the most valuable, but I'm not committing to necessarily get them done. And this kind of comes back to that toddler mentality, right? If I open up a list of things that I have to get done, they all feel like awful chores. <laughs> but if I open up a menu of things that I, that I might like to choose from, then I can make decisions more quickly because it's not a huge list, it's a manageable one. But also I still have that freedom to choose and, and you know pick the thing that I feel like working on. And often I make you know the adult responsible decision of, oh, this is due today, I had better do it. Or, you know what, I know this is due next week and I'm going to get more sleep if I get it done earlier. But because I'm, I have, I'm not ordering myself to do it and I'm not committing to do it, I still feel better about the decision because I have the freedom to do it. Um, you know, e even though I'm the one giving myself orders, I just don't respond to them well. <laughs> so basically it's about tricking your own mind. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, some people really like orders and if that's you, then work with what makes sense to you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, making that short curated menu just makes the decision making process easier. And then I didn't mention my monthly review, which is a whole lot like my weekly review, just a little bit larger in scale. So I look at my calendar, I look at my, I also keep a larger to-do list, uh, not to-do list, a larger list of ideas. Um, so if I get like a crazy idea for a video that I know I'm not going to make in the next three years, it goes on there. If I find, you know, a new WordPress plugin that I think might make things easier, but isn't a priority right now, I put it there. And so in my monthly review, that's when I go through that larger list and decide what's going to make it into my world this month. How far in advance do you plan out your daily and weekly um, habits and tasks and goals? Uh, overall or in terms of the reviews? Um, in terms of the reviews. Right. So um, each of those is very specific in their scope. So the morning review only applies for today. The weekly review only applies for this week. The monthly review only applies for this month. 
So you just um, take it as it comes. You don't plan. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, the th um, I often do um, make kind of a wish list for the year. Um, I used to do it as orders where I would block out, you know, this month I'm going to do this, this month I'm going to do that, this month I'm going to do this. And I always overcommitted and then felt uh, contrary <laughs> when I did it. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, in the new year, I like to think about what I might like to do. But I also find that opportunities come up when you're not expecting them. And so it's very helpful to have the ability to pivot and take advantage of something when it comes up. For example, um, this week, I'm doing a program called The Golden Hour, which is about how to use daylight savings time changes to make time to practice in the morning. Uh, that's the one time in the year when you gain an extra hour. And so if you use that hour to just wake up a little bit at the same time your body is used to, but earlier by the clock time, then you have that time to practice without having to uh, get up earlier from your body's perspective. And so, you know, I had on my monthly plan, you know, a month ago, I decided, well, I'm going to write a blog post on this. And I did do that. But then it occurred to me that people will need support helping that change stick and not gradually shifting along with the rest of the world and losing that hour. So I decided that I was going to do two weeks of email support. So I would send out, you know, a little tip on how to maintain it, um, some encouragement every morning to help people really get over that transition. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something that I planned, but the opportunity presented itself. And that's, uh, from a business perspective, a great way to get people on my mailing list, a great way to get people used to uh, learning from me, which makes them more likely to buy paid products, um, but also to give them a taste of my practice and habit building methods like we're doing right now, uh, because I also have um, a nine-week program on building a practice habit that goes into a lot more depth called How to Build a Sustainable Practice Habit. And so it's a feeder for that. And the opportunity to do that only comes once a year with the daylight savings time change. So I could have decided, okay, I'm going to save that for next year, but I really wanted to jump on that. So that made it into my weekly and daily reviews, even though it wasn't on my monthly list. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Now, I think you also talked about the larger goal mm -hmm. planning piece. Um, again, I do keep my goals separate from my habits. I often choose habits that support my goals, but when I'm showing up to practice or showing up to do whatever action I'm doing, I'm not tying it to the um, to like the carrot of the goal, right? You know, we talk about carrot and stick. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is that for most of the things that we build habits for, these are things that we want to keep doing in the very long term. So it's not something that I want to do for a month. It's something that I want to do for a couple of years usually, right? I want to practice. I want to make time for content creation, like writing blog posts or, um, you know, working on my DVD, etc. And those are things that we tend to want to do in the long term, rather than the project term, because when your DVD is over and done, you're probably going to have something else you're going to want to do, hmm. right? Creating content for your business isn't just limited to your DVD release. There's always going to be something else that you want to write. And so, if you think of your habit as being for content creation rather than editing your DVD or for marketing in general rather than, you know, coming up with the marketing for my DVD, then that's something that's a long-term habit that can keep supporting your business long after the project is done. So the, there's a lot of benefit in making it a long-term thing. But also, you know, when we focus on the carrot and the stick, well, what we call extrinsic motivation, so things that are outside of yourself, we are still relying on willpower. 
right? We can use habits to help us, you know, get little things done. But when our desire for that goal wanes and our desire for that outcome isn't feeling as fiery as it is, then we feel less motivated to do our things. And sometimes we feel reversed, like anti-motivated. So let's say, you know, you're working on your DVD. Your goal is to get it out there into the world, get people buying it, uh, get workshops based on that topic, right? These are our extrinsic motivations. We want to have those things. Um, but if you're having a really tough day, let's say, you know, yesterday you were editing your DVD and you realized that you said something wrong and you're not sure how you're going to fix it and you're feeling really frustrated with the project as a whole, then your image of how happy you're going to be when that DVD is done isn't as strong because you're feeling bad about the project, right? And so that will reduce your motivation as a whole for the project and you won't feel like showing up and sometimes you'll feel like avoiding the work, because you're feeling so icky about it. Whereas if we focus on intrinsic motivation, right? Um, I feel good when I am making progress towards my business because I feel like a successful business person. I feel like, you know, a responsible um, and powerful uh, and effective business person. That's more internal rather than I want this DVD out in the world. And so that internal feeling, you know, um, doing something for its own sake, right? I do business activities because I'm a business person and I feel good about being a business person. Um, that is more long-term motivation that isn't as subject to the whims of whether your project is going well or whether you're feeling good about that project in general. This is kind of a, um, a big picture kind of thing, but it makes a really big difference to how events play out on a day-to-day -day or even hour-by-hour -hour basis. Mm -hmm. Have you ever quit a project or task because you were not intrinsically motivated anymore or did you just try and find something to continue yes so um if you find that you're explicitly extrinsically motivated about something and the the internal like the love for the project and for the activity isn't there you can choose to go one of two ways um sometimes you can say you know what this project isn't worth it i'm gonna drop it and i have done that um, I have a couple of online courses that are two-thirds done, um, but I realized not only do I not, like, I, I enjoyed exploring the idea, but actually, you know, going through the process, getting to the point of making and marketing and run the course was a whole lot less fun than exploring the idea. So my intrinsic motivation was, hey, this is cool. I enjoy thinking about things, but I realized that the act of delivering it, especially in the long term, wasn't going to be motivating for me. I wasn't going to enjoy that. And I, and in particular, um, a lot of those topics were things that weren't in line with my larger mission in the dance. You know, I have a couple of things that I really want to accomplish in my career as a whole. Not so much, you know, I want to get this done, I want to do that. But what is the impact that I want to have on the dance world? What do I want people to be able to do because I was doing this? Um, and so when things aren't in line with that branch, sometimes I take them on as a vacation, right? Like, you know, this would be fun to do just this once. Let's, let's do it once and it'll be great. But if it's a larger project that's going to take time away from the things that do support my mission, then I kind of need to think twice about it. And so that's actually a habit that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but I have quit tasks when I realize that the intrinsic motivation isn't there and they don't support my goals. I mean, not my goals, my, my mission. I like to keep my mission and my goals separate. A goal is something that I'd like to get done in the medium term. My mission is my larger purpose as a dancer. 
Um, so I have quit things at that point. Sometimes what I choose to do is to just power through and get it done so I can get the smaller benefit from it. And usually that happens if I'm almost done with it. So let's say I've almost finished this course. I realized, you know what, this wasn't the best thing for my mission. I'm not feeling super motivated about this. But you know what, instead of offering it as a course, I'm going to make it a standalone product. So I'm going to put in you know, another maybe two or three weeks worth of work. I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to sell it. But I'm not necessarily going to give promoting it the same priority that I would give to the things that are more in line with my mission. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let me uh, take a little tangent there because another habit that I've been working on myself that I think is really helpful uh, for business people in general, um, and this also includes people who are um, performing not in a business or professional capacity, is when you have an opportunity, take a big deep breath before you say yes or no and ask yourself, is this in line with my mission? This is way easier um, if you get a request over email or if you like you see an opportunity on Facebook. But even when you're face to face with somebody, you know, if they say, hey, can you do this? Just say a big deep breath. And often I'll start by saying, hmm, like, in a, like not in a judgy way, but in a curious way, like, you know, I wonder, right? Hmm. Is this in line with my mission? Is this going to help to one of my immediate goals? And then I'll say yes or no based on that response. Because, you know, as I mentioned, often opportunities come at you when you're not expecting them. And being able to take advantage of them in a hurry can be a really positive thing for your career. But um, I find that women especially are conditioned to say yes to everything. And being able to say no is really tough for us. And so often, you know, we jump immediately. We have the bad habit of somebody asks you for something and you say yes. Right. And then a lot of us also have the reverse habit of feeling like we're not good enough or capable enough or ready to do something big. And so we immediately jump to no. Right. Oh, you know, you should make a DVD. You should write a book. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. Right. But if you take that big, deep breath and say, is this in line with my mission? Is this in line with my priorities? And the answer to that is yes. Even if you don't feel ready or you don't feel capable, the fact that it you know, really honoring the fact that, yes, this would really help me with what I want to do as a dancer, as a business person, as somebody on this planet, that gives you that first step towards doing it. And then you can ask yourself the question, how can I become ready? What can I do to be good enough? Could I do it anyway, even if it's not 100% perfect? And that that's a really good habit to have is to just have that little check-in moment. How often would you think that you say yes to opportunities that are aligned what would you say the percentage is between yes and no so if the opportunity is aligned my big question is whether um i can squeeze it in <laughs> <laughs> and i've been a lot pickier in the last year or so um about how much i put on my plate even if i have a lot of great opportunities i do limit myself a lot more just because I'm at a point in my career where I need to make more time for work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm trying to enforce, and this is a goal, not a habit, because I'm not quite there yet, mm -hmm. um, is that I don't work on Saturdays, which I've been doing for a long time. Um, and But my new thing is that I don't want to work after dinner. 
Now, in my house, we eat pretty late. We tend not to eat before 8.30 or 9. So in reality, because I want to be up to practice at 7, that means I might have like an hour to an hour and a half in the evening after dinner. And I really want to spend that time with my husband or on my hobbies, you know, making time to have a real life as opposed to always being working, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things that I think is really important for business owners and especially business owners in dance to pay attention to is that when your hobby dancing, this thing that you love so much becomes your business, you don't love it any less. And often we love it more because there's so many more ways that we can contribute and participate as professionals. But when it becomes your business, it takes on a different role in your life. And so even though it may be the love of your life, it's still your job. And mm-hmm. your job has a different role in your life than your hobbies do. So, you know, it's really, really important to make some time for things that you don't have any external responsibilities to anybody else for things that you do just for yourself, which doesn't mean that you don't love the things that you have responsibility for, but it's, it's really, really critical just to have that space for yourself. So getting back to your question, you know, keeping that time in the evening free to, you know, do my Turkish flashcards or, uh, you know, declutter my, my space or do my nails, right? All these little things that just feel fun for me and feel like relaxation is really critical. And so I've had to put, I'd have have to be a lot more ruthless about what makes it onto my list. Um, I would say that, you know, in the last couple months, I would say that when an opportunity comes up that is in line with my goals, at this point, I'm probably saying an immediate yes to them about a third of the time. And the rest of them, um, if possible, I try and put them somewhere else. In, in my plan. So for example, when you asked me to come on the show, I was having a really tough month. So I said, hey, can we do this next month? So I said, yes, but not yes right now. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I'm really glad you're here. So. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here too. Um, and I do find that if you can say yes, but not now to, to someone else who's, ask, who's, who's offering you an opportunity as opposed to just something that comes up because of circumstances, that often gets interpreted as no. Even if you don't mean it to be no, um, I find so a good habit to have is instead of saying yes, but not now, we can do what I do, which is to propose another time, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, but I'm really busy this week, this month. Can we do this next month, right? Or a student comes to you and says, hey, can you do a private lesson on Friday? But that's your hobby time. You can say, well, I'm not available on Friday. How about next week on one of these three days? And I find that that's a really good way to make sure that the opportunity stays in your world, and gets on your list and gets on everybody else's list, but doesn't necessarily put as much pressure on your immediate to-do list and your immediate commitments. All right. That's a good way to kind of create a work-life balance. You don't always have to be saying yes to everything. So that's good. Exactly. All right. Now, should I talk about another couple of habits that people might want to cultivate? Yes, please. Yeah. So we've talked about practicing. um, And one thing to point out is that I like to think of practicing for your own dancing and practicing for the classes that you teach or the events that you're working on as different. Sometimes when I have something important coming up or if I need to work out, you know, choreographies for my student recitals, I'll split up my practice time and I'll spend some time on my own dancing and sometimes on the immediate goal, right? That that kind of... um, externally motivated practice, right? I have to come up with a combination for this week. I have to finish this choreography. I'm worried about whether I'm going to have the stamina 
to finish this, you know, 30 minute show. So I had better start running full routines in the morning, right? I keep that separate from the larger, I want to grow and develop as a dancer practice. And sometimes I use that same one hour time block for both, but I like to split them up into separate things. So that separates the more intrinsically motivated, I practice because I'm a dancer and that's what dancers do from I have to get this done. I know other people who break that time up into different spots on their calendar. So um, I know some dancers who don't have day jobs who do their own practice in the morning and their work practice in the afternoon. Um, Another thing that you might do is do your work practice on some days and your personal practice on others. So, you know, maybe Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, if you're in crunch time, might be prepping your recital choreographies. And then Tuesday and Thursday are your own practice. So, you know, you, you can be, you can come up with the individual program for that that works for you. Um, we also touched on content creation. Um, and this is a big, big thing if you're in business. Um, you may not, depending on how you like to market your things, you may or may not be writing a lot of blog posts um, or Facebook posts or creating your products and your services. But really that's like the core of what we do unless unless all of your business is showing up to perform and showing up to teach classes and other people are doing the marketing for you. Like let's say you teach at someone else's dance school or you teach for adult ed. Um, in general, you are going to have to be creating content on a regular basis, even if that's just, you know, I need 12 different ways to say, hey, the fall class semester is starting in two weeks. Um, and so making time for content creation makes a really big deal. It makes a really big difference in your success, especially over the long term. And so just showing up to make that content makes a big difference. So I told you that my habit is after I make my coffee, I sit down and I write. Other people might have different um, cues for, for doing that. Uh, for example, you know, if you have a little spot in your day when you have a little bit of time free, uh, that might be a specific time, like between when you drop off your kids at ballet and when you have to pick them up. Uh, if you look for little opportunities like that, that can be a good way of doing that. Um, but if you can kind of build that in and base it on a cue that already exists in your life, like dropping off your daughter, uh, that can make a big difference. Um, and I do want to kind of highlight this a little bit, is that there are always little pockets of time in our lives that show up on a regular basis. And for most people, that's wasted time, right? Oh, God, I have to kill an hour before I pick her up at dance class. Or um, in my case, I, I mentioned I teach on Sundays, so I do a class in the morning, then I have a lunch break, and then I do two classes in the afternoon. And so what I did um, this year was that I scheduled the times on those classes so that I would have enough time both to get to the other location, eat my lunch, but that's when I do my weekly review is I do it on paper while I'm sitting at the Dunkin' Donuts (laughs) before the studio space opens up. And so if you can identify the dead space in your life, whether it's, you know, I always know that if I pick up, you know, after I drop off my daughter and I pick her up, I don't have enough time to go do something you know, I don't have time to run errands, I don't have time, you know, to go home, sit down at my computer, but maybe I can open up my little notepad and jot down, you know, the text for my Facebook shares for the week. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So really think about taking advantage of that dead time. Even if it's just five or 10 minutes here and there, you can often get a lot of work done in those. And because those tend to be um, very much driven by other things that happen regularly in our lives, then that means that the cues are nice and regular. And so those are great opportunities to do some of your habits. Um, another thing related to that is that um, when I, I, I live in a city with really good public transit, so I ride the bus and the subway a lot. 
And so one of my habits, which is not really business related, is that after I sit down on public transit, I open up my flashcards app and I do some Turkish flashcards. Um, in the past, when I used to sit down on the bus specifically, I used to write a text to my mom so we would stay in touch. Since then, we've come up with um, another system so we stay in touch in a different way, but that was a really effective thing. So, you know, just those little times and those little cues are often great opportunities to get some things done. But I think I got a little bit off topic. (laughs) Right, so content creation um, is a habit that you should have. Now, content creation is a bigger goal, but sitting down to write those things can be your smaller habit. So whether that's opening up your computer and opening up the text file where you store your content, Um, I don't recommend that you go to Facebook directly if you're making Facebook posts, uh, just because it's very easy to get distracted. So usually when I'm writing my content, I either write it in a text field, and I write one post and some space, and then the next post and then some space, and then I copy and paste those into Facebook, so I don't compose them directly there. Um, A lot of folks also use a program called Hootsuite, which you can use to schedule your posts, which is a really handy thing. So sometimes I'll go into Hootsuite, and type in there so I can't see my whole Facebook feed while I'm typing. Yeah, I use um, Buffer, which is along the same lines. Exactly. Absolutely. Another habit that's very helpful, especially when you have a lot of projects going on or a lot of pieces to your dance business, so, you know, more than just I teach classes or more than I just perform, but, you know, if you have multiple things going on at once, um, One thing that really helps is to make the habit of checking your email at a particular point in your daily routine and go through all of it. So people call this batching your email or inbox zero, which is that, uh, and for me, this happens after my morning routine. So I've had a little bit of trouble keeping this reliable because of some um, changes to my day job routine that have undermined some of my cues. So that's one area that I'm revamping. But Um, at the moment, what I do is after I finish my morning routine, I go to my inbox and I start at the top and I go through each one until I'm done. So if a new email is here, I deal with it. That may mean I reply. It may mean I take some action based on that email. It may mean that I skim it and decide I don't have to do anything about it. Um, but if I, if it's something that I know is going to be a larger thing that needs to get done, like I need to go research something and put together a response, and I know it's going to take more than like a minute or two, then I add that to my menu for the day. So either that goes into the deadlines, if it's something that really honestly has to happen today, or it goes into the wants section. Um, And if I'm not completely confident that I'm going to get to it today, then I'll reply to the person and say, great, I'll get you an answer tomorrow. Or, you know, I need to do some research, I'll be in touch soon. So I make sure that I have taken the immediate action for that email, whether it's do it, um, put it on the list for later, um, but just make sure that the person knows that I'm on it. Does that make sense so far? Yes. I kind of do the same. I, I use an approach though. If it takes me less than two seconds, <laughs> or else it'll be two minutes to reply, I'll just get it over and done with so that I don't have to keep opening it up later. Cause it kind of sits in the back of my mind. I don't know if it's the mm-hmm. same for you. It's like, Oh crap. I really should answer this person. Exactly. Or so- I use, um, have you heard of this app called boomerang? Yes. Yeah, that's a really yeah. handy one. You can just schedule it to be sent out later so it doesn't look like you're answering a non-office hour time. Exactly. <laughs> now, I do want to pick up on something that you mentioned, which is, um, you know, if it's sitting on your mind. Um, that's why I put things on my to-do list. So either, uh, excuse me, on my menu. 
I call it a to-do list, mm-hmm. but I don't like to call it that to other people because other people see to-do list disorders, right? <laughs> um, and that's the thing is that af- as the pro- in the process of going through my inbox, I do take the action on it. So either I have... I either complete the action or I tell the person I'm on it and make sure that it's on my menu. And knowing that it's on my menu, I'm not worried about it because I know that I'm going to my menu throughout the day to take care of things. Mm -hmm. And I know that the person isn't waiting for a reply, right? I've checked in with them and they know that I'm on it. And that piece makes a very, very big difference. Um, Another productivity um, writer called David Allen, who's the creator of a program called Getting Things Done, which is awesome and what I based my weekly review on. I kind of roll my own, but it's really based on his principles. Um, his role is that if an action takes two minutes or less to complete, you should just do it. So mm-hmm. if you know somebody has said, hey, can you get me you know, the link to this song that we used in class, that's going to take me less than two minutes to find it on Amazon and paste it back in. So even though that's something that could have gone on my to-do list, it's faster to actually do it than to write it down and get to it later. And mm-hmm. so um, that's that's my rule of thumb is I, just like you, I do get it done if it's going to be quick and it only goes on my menu if it's going to be longer. Um, and the other reason why this um, batched email is important is that as a business person, when we have a lot of things going on, it can be really hard to maintain focus, especially if you're working on something really important like content creation right? I'm trying to finish this choreography. I'm trying to edit my DVD. I'm trying to write this blog post. And so if you respond to emails as they come in, constantly switching your focus between different things really hampers your ability to get them done, right? You risk getting off track completely and not coming back, but also your effectiveness at that task changes the more times you switch your focus. And so if you make a commitment to yourself to go through your inbox Uh, Most people do once or twice a day. Other people do like morning, lunchtime, and and evening or afternoon. And that you don't check your email at other times. Um, You also protect your focus. So you protect your ability to get more important and urgent, uh, more important, larger goals done rather than the immediate urgency of email as it comes in. So I've turned off all the email notifications on my phone and my computer. I can't tell if I have email until I go to my inbox. I have had to do the same for my um, for my email as well as my social media on my phone. Mm-hmm. It's just too distracting. I I don't get any work done if it just keeps popping up. So exactly. And the flip side of that is that you need to check it on a regular basis. So having the habit of doing your email batching, you know, once a day really does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now another thing that's had to play is I have had to make an exception to that for emails from my husband. <laughs> right now he knows to text me if something is urgent, but um, you know. If it's something where it needs to get dealt with by the end of the day, but not necessarily um, immediately, right? Uh, but it can't necessarily wait until, you know, tomorrow at like 10, 10.30. But when I check my email, um, I have a little reminder set up. Um, it's a program called If This Then That, mm-hmm. which lets you program actions based on things in all kinds of different programs. So in Gmail... I've set up a little uh, if this then that that says if I get an email from my husband's email address with three exclamation points in the subject line, which is what he knows to enter, then it sends me a little push notification on my phone. Hmm. And that lets me know that I need to deal with it by the end of the day. Interesting. I use it too, but not for that. But that's actually interesting. It's a good kind of insider tip to people. Like your husband, for example, if you want to let them know, all right, I won't be checking my email. But if you add this, I will check it. I'll at least see that it got sent. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right. 
So batching your email and doing it at a particular time of day is a great habit to have. Um, besides the benefits for you, it also um, trains other people in how, how quick a response is normal. Right. So if, if you check once or twice a day, then people don't expect the people will not will come to not expect an answer within five minutes, which can happen if you respond to all your emails immediately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see. So we've talked about batching email. We've talked about thinking before we say yes or no. We've talked about practice and content creation and reviews. Um, another thing that I think is a really helpful uh, habit to have is that when you're writing an email to someone, when you feel that urge to click send, a really helpful habit to add is to finish your email with a call to action, which is to, regardless of what you've written above, to just write a really quick statement of what you want the person to do based on what you've written, right? So, you know, I've been working with an assistant, I said, and so some of my emails are, okay, this is coming up and I want you to do this, and this is coming up and I want you to do this, and this is coming up and I want you to do this, and then I'll finish the email with, okay, great, let me know if you're up for doing these three things, or uh, please go ahead and post this and then send me a link when you're done. And even if I've like, already asked her to do those things in, this, in the body of the email, having that at the end just makes it clear what everybody's expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also true if I'm emailing clients, right? You know, so if I've just, if somebody wants me to teach at a bachelorette party and I've sent them, you know, information about how much it costs and where we can do it and all this stuff, you know, I'll add it to the end. Okay, great. So, please send me the address where it's going to be and what time you'd like to start and I'll get you the contract. And so just putting that little call to action at the end um, by making it clear to everybody what the next step is, A, it saves you a lot of time um, in in chasing people down because if what you want them to do is buried in the email or in some cases not stated at all, right? Mm -hmm. So if I say to my my assistant, okay, well, the next clubhouse call is going to be on November whatever but I don't specifically say, and I want you to go complete our checklist steps for that, um, then the agreement isn't there, right? You know, we may both be assuming that she's responsible for that, but if we don't state it outright, then sometimes things can slip out more easily, slip off, slip off people's radar. But also, if you have that at the end of every email and you're going back to try, you're going back through a long email thread to try and you know, figure out why something got off track or determine what's done and what's not done. Just having that little bit at the end of the email really, really helps. That's good that you mentioned that with regards to um, a potential gig request because a lot of people might not put the call to action and then you wait forever for the other person to get back to you and you don't know what's happening. Exactly. You want to have some kind of action so you know whether to waste, you don't want to waste your time nor theirs. Exactly. You know, and also people don't read all their emails. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a thing people skim. And so it's really easy for things to get lost. So sometimes if I have a much longer email, I'll actually write like a little summary with bullet points. But often I'm just really asking them to do one or two things. And so I'll just state that more explicitly. Um, This is also good in everyday life. You know, you can do this with your husband, you can do this with your kids, you can do this with your parents, you can do this with your friends, right? You know, you can have with my sisters right now, we're, we're talking about Thanksgiving planning. And so, you know, we're all talking about, we're, we're doing things a little differently this year. So we're talking about, you know, how we're going to arrange the meal and where we're going to go. And at this point, we're still kind of brainstorming what kinds of things we want out of the holiday. But we need to make some decisions, right? So what I proposed is I'm going to cook this, this, and this, and that they do this and that. And so the call to action is, let me know if that works for you. 
right? Or if you want to propose something else. And so that's going to get us to a decision point because I'm just asking, hey, let, let's decide on this. Which is not to say that brainstorming isn't valuable because it is absolutely necessary, but we had had enough brainstorming at that point. So if I felt like we needed more, I could say, well, can somebody come up with a few more ideas for sides? Or can somebody propose, you know, a division of labor? And if, if you translate everything into an action that you want people to take, then they actually do it or they're more likely to do it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you wanted to mention about a project that you're currently working on that you want to let the listeners know to go check out or something to be on the lookout for? Absolutely. So a little bit earlier, I mentioned a program I'm running this week called The Golden Hour. Um, for folks in Europe, um, you've already missed your opportunity because your daylight savings time was last Sunday. <laughs> but if you're in North America, that is coming up this Sunday, November 6th. I'm not sure if the podcast is going to be out by then. But if you're interested in using the daylight savings time change to start practicing in the morning, whether that's your dance practice or making room for your content creation, this is a great opportunity because you can get up earlier to make that time uh, without your body feeling like it's earlier. Uh, but as I mentioned, the hard part is sticking to that schedule when the rest of the world has shifted around you. And so I am doing two weeks of free email uh, tips. So every morning I give you a specific action to take that day. Again, there's a call to action right? Um, and also some encouragement to help you stay on. So that's completely free. Everything's over email. Everything's nice and small and manageable. So if, that, if making time for working in the morning um, is something that's valuable, and I do recommend mornings if you can make it happen because um, you're less likely to be distracted by everything else that you need to do in your day, and you're less likely to get interrupted by other people. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, you can head over to bellydancegeek.com, and that's linked right at the top of the page. You'll see a link that will take you there. And if mornings and November are not really the time for you, uh, we're also going to be running a program called How to Build a Sustainable Practice Habit in January. That's a nine-week course specifically around building dance practice into your daily life for the long term. Uh, it goes into quite a bit more detail than the Golden Hour does and has a lot, of more, a lot more hand-holding and worksheets. We take a big look at why you're practicing and how to make sure that your practice activities are in line with your dance priorities, um, both in the short term and the long term. We talk about really getting down to the nitty gritty of building habits, troubleshooting things in your daily life that might be getting in the way, treating yourself like a toddler so you actually get this stuff done. And then once the habit actually is in play and is starting to stick, we start talking about how to use your practice time effectively, how to protect your practice when when things get in the way, like you get sick or, you know, you have big family issues or holidays and vacations, etc. So that's going to be starting in January. You can also find that at bellydancegeek.com slash practice hyphen habit. And we've got a waiting list open. So if you get on that now, I can make sure that you get the details when registration opens up. Great. So thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. Really this was a blast. Really glad that you're able to make it. And thanks so much for explaining the habits and the cues. I'm going to have to try that out because I'm a coffee drinker now too. I never was before. So I'm <laughs> going to try your tips as well. Absolutely. Now, um, if you're um, new to building habits, um, I know I mentioned this earlier, but the Tiny Habits program at tinyhabits.net, um, it's free. And um, BJ Fogg and his team will actually coach you through 
um, the cue behavior and reward process. So that is some really, really good stuff. We talk about that in how to build a sustainable practice habit as well, but Tiny Habits runs every single week starting every Monday. So if you sign up by Friday, you can get started next week and it's, it's really good stuff. So I highly recommend it. Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out as well. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for joining us. I'm John and this is the Advanced Your Guidance podcast. And until next week, 